the title significance of final years can, after all, be taken in different ways. You start off by thinking, well, actually, what are the final years? Because when Help the Aged rattles a tin at me in the street and says, Help the Aged, and I say, I am the aged, (laughs) um, it doesn't really get us very far. And I think that my thesis is that the fact that we are now all of us living so much longer than we used to, is that we can no longer think of the conventional three stages of life that you spend up to between 12 and 20 getting ready for work and having children and so forth, two things which women find difficult to, in, to combine. And then you've got old age, and that's that. And it's quite arbitrary on what you consider an age to be. I remember when we were on the Lady Committee trying to bring the, going to bring the majority of uh, age of majority down, we st- somebody thought it was interesting to find out why it was 21. And it turned out to be because 21 was the age that in the Middle Ages a young man was strong enough to wear full armour. And that was what it depended on. And we also, um, in that context, now we're having great debate as to whether the pension age should go up without remembering that when the 1908 brought in what they called the Lloyd George, you couldn't get it till 70 anyway. So it is a bit arbitrary, the whole thing. And I'm convinced that we have to stop thinking about basically three ages. That's to say, you're getting ready for it, you're doing it, and you're past it. It's got to be something that... We'll make a distinction between someone of 65 who's just been made a non-executive of a, grad, of a big company or a grandmother who's opened a gift shop or, for the matter of that, is panting around the playground chasing grandchildren to be lumped together with someone of 90 uh, in a wheelchair with, or an Alzheimer patient who needs round-the-clock care. It is just not the same grouping at all. I think we have to think of a fourth age to, to factor into this. The third, of course, we call for things like University of the Third Age and voluntary work and active grandparenting and saga cruises and some of the other categories that I'm going to propose in a minute. But that's not to be confused with the problems that a great many of you are coping with, with people who are at a much further stage who have real difficulties with health and they're past even the stage of aching for the Barry Cryer escalator, the escalating stairlift, which will get you upstairs before you've forgotten why you wanted to go. And I don't think you can make a single age cutoff, because you only have to go to a school reunion, very dispiriting always, because if they look much younger than you, you think, oh, help, I ought to be trying harder. And if they are visibly absolutely decrepit and antique, you think, my God, is that the age I am, really? I think that you can't draw these categories with any sort of neatness. And I would like to society that thinks, in fact, in terms of four ages. The first age will be before you've arrived at your working life, you're getting ready for it. And then you have the next one, which is when you're trying to work and you're also having children, and women have the traditional difficulty getting... getting I didn't... What sort of Freudian slip did I say getting rid of them? Never mind. Um, when you've had them. And then you've got, you've got le- the third age, when you are active, but not in the same way as you were during those 20, 30, 40 years. I think 
that just about nobody will define themselves as coming to the end of their working life, bang, sal- final salary pension, new set of golf clubs, that's it. Or from now on, the social services are my f- uh, people who look after me. The, the, with the disappearance of the final s- salary and the double effect of a contract culture in so many fields of life, I think that this whole idea of bang, off, finish is going. And so I want to think of what you do as well as that familiar trajectory. And I think that for people such as ourselves, the first thing to think of is what Dennis Healy called a hinterland, which is something else you do besides work and breed. In his case, it was farming, which isn't something that actually is available to most of us. A lot of people take up painting in a number of indifferent watercolours, spraying Europe. A great many people, quite usefully, write, write books in retirement. And my husband, who wrote books for a living, said he didn't understand why everybody who was tired of their own profession thought they ought to relapse into his. But that is obviously not for everyone. And I think what we need is something that might be I, what you might call... You want to think of things which actually only older people will do well or want to do, but still a very good thing to do. And to start with, we could start with people getting a bit more involved in the marketing for older people. The late, great Alan Corrin said he wondered if people who, who sold things that were supposed to be foolproof kept a fool or two around the premises to test them out. And I often wonder, and I bet some of you do, whether the people who sell things to us ever try them out on the elderly. I mean, what genius in a brightly lit lab thought that a telephone answering phone ought to have its instructions in small raised letters in battleship grey on battleship grey? And there would be a great deal to be said for involving older people in selling to older people that that stage of life is not a negative one, even in terms of involvement with the ordinary world. And I know there is, though I haven't yet managed to visit it. There's, I think there's a wonderful little unit up in Dundee trying to work out which bits of computerization can actually be managed by the elderly. I mean, those who don't actually have what we all want, which is a teenager to be supplied with every laptop. Um, and I think it's... People who are no longer employed very often can do something, maybe minor, to start up something. So that when people talk about how are we going to afford the old, well, okay, a lot of the old are going to produce things which lead to employment or products or something being done. And actually, I believe that older people's startups have a surprisingly high success rate whether it's because they're older and wiser or whether it's because, as with female startups, which also have a very um, significant success rate, it's because it takes much longer to them to think out and work out where the money's coming from and whether it'll actually work. And then, of course, there's voluntary work, but then you do need something to paying to support you, and it's not a total answer. But what about the really skilled kind of care that 
Julia Neuberg, Baroness Julia Neuberg, this manifesto for the old. She wants it to be regarded as a good career just to care for old, so that it's not just more or less um, untrained and sometimes ignorant people and sometimes, because we lack the young people who are prepared to do it, the immigrant people who don't necessarily speak the right language to communicate with their oldest patients and so forth. That would be something. And I think those people could make a second career of saying, I know what you were doing, so I will help you very well, rather than experts who are young and vigorous and don't realise that the people at the back of the room can't hear a word they're saying. But I think for a lot of us, another stage that we ought to invent, which, until one of you comes up a better name for it, called the emeritus stage, when you are still more or less doing what you used to do, but you're doing it in a different way. You, you want to move over, let somebody younger with better ideas, or at any rate, different ideas. Um, they, it's what they use in universities, you say, Professor Emeritus. It means that he's not going to stop working, but it's about time somebody else started running the department. And a distinguished editor of the Sunday Times, but I can't remember the name, was made an editor emeritus. And somebody said, well, what does it mean? And he said, I don't know, but it means I keep the car. But <laughs> I think also we used to have, for example, in the Observer, somebody who, having not quite made it to editor, but being incredibly respective and good, <coughs> became the sort of grand old man of the paper. Um, he, he, was, um, he made it clear... And a, you know, in a voice not to be ignored, that thou shalt not split an infinitive, or your or fiddle your expensive much. Well, that kind of thing doesn't, I think, stop at the top. It could also include an ex-dinner lady or an ex an ex almost anybody who can be take one step back and still be there for with their experience and wisdom, but not necessarily keeping the young out but being around to help them, so to speak. And one of the best examples of this that I know, um, I had an aunt, I had until a few weeks ago, actually, who uh, lived in a road in Kew, and there was an ex-nurse who lived in the road, and everybody in the road went to Paddy first when they got something wrong. She'd only been discontinued as a nurse because the Royal College of Nursing couldn't do her insurance anymore. So technically, she was a retired person. And actually, she got back at about 80 to manage the practice's computers for them at all times. And I had a, um, just this week, I had the roof fell in. Well, not all of it yet. And I asked the people who usually did the roof. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I've got... He did plumbing as well. He said, I'll go on doing the plumbing, but I've got a heart condition and I can't do the roof. And my son, Andrew has got a bad head for heights, so he can't do it. But he knows an awful lot more about it. And there use ought to be, I think, some sort of recognised slot for people who are not doing exactly what a 30-year-old would do, but they're doing something enormously valuable. So if you've had um, a rewarding or, tenerate a viable third age, then what about the last bit? And some of that is unavoidably grim. I mean, we all know we're going to die. It's only Woody Allen who said he always thought that an exception would be made in his case. Um, 
but it's a question of how you die. And I think what people of my sort of age face more every, with every year, year that passes is it not just that you die, but that you die of something. And it's the something that is so terribly frightening. Um, I know a few grim facts have to be faced at this point. And the reason that we're all living longer is that modern medicine has stopped us dying for so many things that boxed up before. But we're kept, kept alive can being a horror, and it's no good saying that it can always be made okay. And death is not always the enemy. My father, who was a schoolmaster, had an old pupil who was a doctor, a medical missionary, and he married somebody who was also a medical missionary, and they ran a hospital in South Africa, and then when he finally gave up on that, he came home, worked for a bit in the A&E at St. George's Hospital, which was, of course, very good, because when they put the youngsters there, they haven't yet seen all the horrible things that happen. He was very good at that. And then they spent their old age um, going round on a tandem bicycle, raising funds for charity for their old hospital in South Africa. And they finally were going to give this up, and I'm not quite sure whether it was a huge celebration for their golden wedding or a huge celebration of them both being 80. But they set off on the tandem bicycle to do a last tour around the British Isles, and a lorry drove around a corner, knocked them both off and killed them outright. And everybody said, oh, isn't that absolutely dreadful? But it wasn't. It was absolutely marvellous. Because think of all the things they were missing. They were missing one of them having to lose the other and mourn. They were missing decline of their powers. They are missing all of the awful things that can happen to you in old age. And I think that, you know, I heard of somebody falling out of a balloon on her 75th birthday. And I thought, well, you know, I missed that one now, but it's not a bad idea. <laughs> and I do think that to regard death as you know, always the enemy is something we ought to face up to and resist. And this is where I think we're going to have to rethink the end of life the way we have in practice actually totally rethought the beginning of life. And I mean, obviously, things like birth control and occasional abortions and so on. And then people say, well, I haven't rethought the beginning of life. No, well, do you approve of keeping neonates, keeping going in the six months where they would obviously have died? How about IVF? Is that not something you approve of? What about fertility treatments? We don't just leave it to chance or the almighty or whatever. We think, what should we do about this? And I think that we're more and more coming round to the idea that we've got to be a little more upfront about what we really want out of the last death. And it's hampered by the reluctance we all have to face it. We, and, one, and there are a few myths, I think. One of the myths is that if you have enough good hospice care, there is all pain can be controlled. Well, Possibly if you define pain very narrowly. But what about being blind and paralysed? What about having nightmares in your coma for which you will never wake up? There are quite a lot of things which cannot be controlled. And you, I, I think that people who have a religious objection, all right, that's for them. 
But I remember listening to a cleric saying that, of course, we mustn't do this. It was all quite wrong. We must await God's will. Then it turned out he'd had a pacemaker. I thought, supposing God had, he might have assumed that God had meant to discontinue him rather earlier. But he didn't take it for that. He had the treatment. And why not? Um, And I think another great myth, which is where I suppose is where I get into the fights, is that um, if there is anything approaching assisted suicide, then hospice care must deteriorate. Well, of course it may, but I don't see that I really don't think that it is at all necessary. And I went to Oregon to see exactly how, excuse, have some clues as to how it was all working out. And I found that, first of all, the hospice care is excellent. It was actually weighted by um, um, one, one ratings, rated Oregon the second best for the states in hospice care. Um, another one gave it a B rating, but there were only three states in the A rating, so it's number four. And they do it mostly in people's own homes, which, because they use the word hospice, meaning palliative care, so you can have it anywhere, it isn't a building. And I think that if you actually go and see what... One of the things that's very interesting in Oregon and speaks to my condition, as the Quakers say, is that quite a lot of people set it up to have the bibituates there and don't use it, because if they know they can get it up, can move on or stop things, if it gets too bad, then they're okay. And I think a number of people who are absolutely certain about what happens when they die, good or bad, is not necessarily the whole populace, but you might have to value that safeguard enormously. And I think when we're old, we live day to day. Sometimes there's something agreeable to, to look forward to, something's not. Sometimes there's nothing but horror, which is why Jill Tweedy, who had motor neurone disease, refused to take her antibiotics when she had a thing and managed to die of something else. It's why Bernard Levin, who had one of the brightest brains and such a good memory that he didn't need an address book, had Alzheimer's and didn't eat or drink the last week before he died, or why my sister-in-law had to get, get out of hospital somehow and starve herself to death because she simply couldn't stand it any longer. And I do think that I never quite understood what the significance in the title was supposed to be, but I do think that we need to reshuffle the cards on how we think about life and how we think about death and actually manage to welcome them both the better. Thank you.